Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. Good morning, everyone. It's really wonderful to be with you. And I'm actually glad that our um, time has, going back to Japan has been delayed. Uh, So it's just been so great to come to one church and just be with you. And so it's uh, a big blessing uh, for us. And a great privilege to be standing here and uh, share the message this morning. And um, I'd like you to take your Bible then and turn to the book of Mark. Chapter 11, Mark chapter 11, and we're going to look at verses 15 to 19, Mark eleven fifteen to 19. This is God's word. And they came to Jerusalem. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seat of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And then evening came and they went out of the city. Let's pray again. Father in heaven, we thank you for this dedicated time where we can sit with open Bibles. And Lord, I pray that you will help us through your spirit, um, that your word will penetrate our hearts, that you will do what only you can do through your spirit, and that is to change us and to make us more like Jesus. And so bless this time, and we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. My grandfather my late grandfather, um, he owned a car for many, many, many years. And uh, this car was a blue 1970 Toyota Corona. And uh, my grandfather wasn't a rich man, so he knew that he won't be able to buy another car. And so he had to look after his car very, very carefully. And so he would, I remember he would wash his car every weekend. And uh, on Sundays, he would drive it out the garage And he would start the engine, and he would wait for my granny to come down the stairs so that they could go to church together. And uh, because this car was in his care for many, many years, my grandfather grew very attached to his old Toyota Corona. He loved his car. It was a special car. But as my grandfather got older, sadly, he had to sell the car. A day came where he had to sell his beloved Toyota Corona, and uh, he sold it to a builder who was doing some construction work behind our house. And this builder didn't really live the most disciplined 
life. And so uh, he soon started bumping the car, and uh, the car wasn't in a good shape anymore. And uh, I remember one day, uh, the car was parked a few houses down the street from where we lived. And uh, these guys were having a party inside my grandfather's old car. And so there were like beer bottles and party music and guys like passed out lying in, in the car. And my grandfather was like watching this from a distance. Not his car anymore, right? But he, was, he just looked and he was like, I can't handle this. And my grandfather, who was 70 years old at the time, walked straight up to the guys in the car. And he grabbed them and he threw them out of the car. And he locked the doors, took the keys, and walked back home. <laughs> now, when we consider today's passage, when I read it, I just immediately thought of that incident with my grandfather. Because I see a little bit of a resemblance between my grandfather and Jesus. And maybe you can relate to this as well. Have you ever been really angry Seeing something or someone that you love, something or someone that you are passionate about, being treated with a complete lack of care and consideration, being treated like garbage. In today's passage, that's exactly what is happening. We see here what Jesus is passionate about, and that something that Jesus is passionate about is being treated like garbage. Specifically, the holy temple of God was being treated like a den for robbers. It's a well-known story, and we don't see sweet Jesus, meek and mild here. We see passionate Jesus. We see zealous Jesus. We see the Lion of Judah roaring. We see the pure love and devotion that Jesus had for his father's house. If you look at Luke chapter 2, it tells us there that when Jesus was 12 years old, he went with his family to the temple in Jerusalem in order to celebrate the Passover festival. And we know the story after the festival, the family are on their way back home and they're like, oh, we don't see Jesus. And uh, they run back into town and they search for Jesus for three days, and finally they find him in the temple, and like, Jesus, why did you do this to us? They ask him, and Jesus just plainly tells them, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? So from a very young age, Jesus loved to be in his father's house. For Jesus, his father's house was a special place, a sacred place. place of great importance. Then later as an adult, Jesus enters into Jerusalem as the humble king. He's riding on a donkey and as he rode into Jerusalem, there's these great crowds and they're worshiping and they're praising God with a loud voice. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And so King Jesus, just imagine the scene. He's riding into town on this donkey. People surrounding him and praising him and singing. And Jesus' first stop, he, he comes into Jerusalem on this donkey. His first stop is not the palace, it's not the city hall. His first stop is his father's house. 
And we know that his disciples are there with him. And I'm sure the disciples heard Jesus speak about his father's house often. And so there is amongst the disciples as well a sense of anticipation in them. Because they are following Jesus into the temple. They're going to meet with God the Father. They're going to minister to the people. Also, it was a special time on the Jewish calendar because all of this happened during the time of the Passover. And so that meant that the city was full of people from, from all over coming to celebrate Passover, coming to make sacrifices in the temple in order to atone for sins. But when Jesus and his disciples arrive at the temple, they are not greeted with scenes of sincere worshippers nor the sound of many voices singing praises to the Lord. They are not greeted with the sight of people bowing down in repentance and prayer to the Father. They don't see deeds of compassion and love towards the needy and the broken, but instead they are greeted with the sight of a huge religious scam. They're greeted by sheep peddlers and pigeon sellers and money changers. See, at that time, in order to atone for sin, God instructed that people should bring a lamb without blemish to sacrifice. And the historian Josephus recorded that during the Passover period alone, around 250,000 lambs were sacrificed. That's a lot of lamb chops. <laughs> But for the poor people who couldn't afford to sacrifice a lamb, what could they do? Well, provision was made for them. They could sacrifice a humble pigeon instead. But the problem was these pigeons also had to be without defect. And they had to be approved by the priests that they're okay to be sacrificed. And so people always had this concern. The pigeons that I bring... Will it be an acceptable sacrifice? Will the priests approve? And so what happens, businessmen saw this as an opportunity. And so they started selling pigeons that were already approved by the priests to sacrifice. And of course, they added a very nice profit onto that. And some of it went to the priests. This wasn't the only thing that happened. Worshippers came to make their annual monetary offering in the temple, a lot of them came from places outside of Jerusalem, faraway places where they did not use the Jewish currency. And the money that they offered in the temple, it had to be of Jewish currency. And so they couldn't offer their foreign currency. So it had to be exchanged. And so this is where the money changes come in. And of course, they also added exorbitant prices for their services. And in Jesus' time, these middlemen, these businessmen were all under the control of the high priest Ananias, whom the historian Josephus called the great procurer of money. See, it had become exactly as Jesus said, a den of robbers. A place where the religious elite got fat from the prophets of the people that they were supposed to serve. In Mark chapter 11, 12 to 14, the passage just before this, we read that Jesus curses the fig tree for not bearing any fruit. And that was symbolic for how empty 
and how dead Israel's worship had become. These religious leaders have lost their way completely. But also there's one more piece of background information that's very important for us to understand. And that is exactly where all of this business was happening. All of this scamming and hustle and dealing and the hustle and bustle of animal traffic. And you can imagine animals have to do the thing that they do, right? You can imagine the smells. All of that was happening in the court of the Gentiles. The court of the Gentiles, this was the only place where non-Jewish foreigners could come to pray and offer worship to God. So any foreigner who wanted to know what God is like, they've heard about this God, Yahweh, and they want to come and they want to see who this God is, this is where they would end up. And imagine what they thought when they tried to pray. And they're just smelling stuff. And they're trying to pray, and they just hear all around them, pigeons, half price today, special discount, pigeons. And they tr- they're trying to worship God here. Part of the temple looked more like a circus zoo than a place of worship. And so Gentile worship was functionally prohibited. And this didn't really bother most of the Jews because they didn't really want Gentiles to worship anyway. They didn't want Gentiles to be part of them anyway. But then in comes Jesus. In comes the Lion of Judah. And he is roaring. And he enters into the scene and he cannot tolerate this. Mark says he began to drive out those who sold Other Gospels give us a bit more juicy detail saying that he actually made a whip and he whipped them out of there and he prevented anyone from bringing livestock in there. I mean, this wasn't just like a few little sheep. I mean, this was a big enterprise and Jesus put an end to it and he goes and he tosses over the tables, turns the tables over. I mean, have you ever seen something like that? Like, have you ever seen someone so mad that they flip the table over? Um... I've played board games with some youth, <laughs> and when, uh, when, when someone is losing, <laughs> they would flip the, the board over in anger, and that's like, well, pretty shocking in it. But, but here, there's like tables being tossed over, and it's just like money flying everywhere, and parchments fly, people like falling out of their chairs, absolute pandemonium. And I can just imagine the shock and the amazement on everyone's faces. What is going on here? The Lion of Judah has arrived. Come to restore what was broken. And then Jesus begins to teach the crowd. He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for the nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. And in response, the chief priests and scribes sought to destroy him because they feared him, because the people were astonished at his teaching. See, they wanted, these leaders wanted a Messiah who would come in and whip out the Gentiles, but here Jesus is coming in and he's whipping their own religious system. But why exactly was Jesus so upset? That's a very important question to ask. 
And it's because the Jewish leaders corrupted the original purpose of the temple. And through that, the glory and holiness of God was being diminished. And specifically, it was being diminished in the eyes of outsiders. So what was the temple's purpose? As Jesus said, a house of prayer for all the nations. And here he's quoting from Isaiah 56. Speaks about the outcast and the foreigner being joined into the covenant people of God. And this goes all the way back to the very first temple. Um, and Solomon dedicating the temple. This is what it says in his prayer, 1 Kings 8.41. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people, Israel, comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays toward this house, here in heaven, your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. So it's very clear that one of the primary purposes of the temple was for Gentile evangelism. And so Jesus was flipping over tables and putting an end to the thieving in the temple. As he was doing that, maybe his mind, maybe he was thinking about Abraham's calling to be a blessing to the nations. And he's thinking, what's happening here? I don't see this happening here. Maybe he's thinking of Psalm 67. We read that this morning in the beginning of the service. May the peoples praise you, Lord. May all the peoples praise you. See, the scandal Jesus attacked and abolished was the exclusion of Gentiles from the grace of God by corrupt and greedy people. The court of the Gentiles, the place designed for foreigners to congregate, a place for the nations to seek the Lord, was overrun by robbers trying to make a profit. And Jesus put a stop to their evil actions. And so now that we're familiar with the story, what is there to learn for us today? Let me give you just two simple truths that we can learn about Jesus from this passage. The first truth is the authority of Jesus. When Jesus cleansed the temple, he was making a very bold statement to everyone there that this temple is his father's house, and therefore Jesus had the right to step in and correct the temple abuses. He wasn't throwing a temple tantrum over here because he has the right to possess, he has the right to correct what is wrong. The Jewish leaders had the false idea that they had control over the temple, that they could call the shots, but Jesus puts them in their place. He says, this is my house, it's not your house. I decide what happens here, not you. Now this incident might seem far removed from us today because we live in South Africa. Uh, there's no temple anymore. And so how does this relate to us? Well, it relates to us in a big way because the authority of Jesus goes way beyond a physical temple. 
If you look at Matthew 12, verse 6, it says, Jesus says that something greater than the temple is here. He's referring to himself, that he is greater than the temple in Jerusalem, and that through his life and his death and his resurrection, all people will now have direct access to God. You don't need to go to a temple anymore to meet with God, but you can go directly through Jesus because of what he's done on the cross. means that the temple has now become obsolete because God no longer just dwells in the temple. He, he dwells in the heart of every believer. We have become the temples of God. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Your body is the temple of God. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And so, simply put, Jesus has complete authority over your life. And he has the right to step in and correct sin and error. Jesus has the right to step into your heart and start flipping tables over. Being God's possession means that he will relentlessly and passionately pursue you and he will ruthlessly destroy what is evil and unholy in your life. He has that authority. And I think this truth also sheds new light on everything we think of as our possessions. Because sometimes we feel that what we have belongs to us, and when we feel generous, we can give something to God. But that's not how it works, because we, we know that everything that belongs to us actually belongs to God. And we should honor and please Him with the things that He's placed in our care. Because this authority of Jesus, it's stretches beyond the temple, it covers every part of us, and it includes everything that we possess. I remember some years ago when I was a pastor at at Central, um, the LGBTQ community at the University of Pretoria invited me to come and speak to them about sexuality and the Bible. So imagine it's like being asked to kick a hornet's nest. And uh, I said, okay, yes, I'll do it. Afterwards, I was like, what have I done? <laughs> and I prayed, God, please provide someone to go with me. <laughs> and uh, thankfully, God provided a really, really talented pastor friend uh, to go with me. And uh, I remember after the, the main talk, there was a young lady who asked a really, really sincere question that I still remember to this day. She asked, what if I serve God and I, and I obey God in every area of my life except in this one area of my sexuality? Will he still reject me? What do you say? My pastor buddy then, I think, gave an excellent answer. He went to the passage about the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. The man asked Jesus, what must I do to get in? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus starts to list a couple of commandments. He says, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, honor your mother and your father. And the man responded, well, then I'm in, Jesus, because I've done all those things. Then what does Jesus say to him? 
There's one more thing that you lack. There's just one more thing that you lack. Go and sell your possessions. Give it to the poor. You will have treasures in heaven. And then come and follow me. And guess what the man did? He walked away. Because he couldn't. He couldn't give Jesus absolute authority. He did not understand what it actually takes to be a follower of Jesus. That sincere lady attending the talk on the campus did not understand the radical implications of being a follower of Jesus. It means total 100% surrender to his kingship. It means accepting that Jesus has total authority in your life. Accepting the fact that sometimes he will come in and throw tables over in your life. And he does that not because he doesn't like us. He does that because he does like us. He loves us and he's zealous for us to be authentic worshipers of God. And so do you appreciate and do you recognize this truth about Jesus? And are you truly, completely surrendering to his authority in your life? Or are there still a few things, one thing maybe even, that you are trying to keep away from him? Something that you are trying to control yourself. Areas in your life that you don't want him to intrude. Let's examine ourselves this morning. And let us resubmit to the good and complete authority that Jesus has in our lives. That's the first lesson. He has the authority. And the second lesson is we see something about the missional heart of Jesus. And we see something of the missional focus of God's plans. You cannot read the Gospels and not notice Jesus' concern for the social and religious outcasts. We read it over and over again. Those who the Jews rejected, Jesus welcomed them and he ministered to them. The leper, the paralytic, the blind, the tax collector, the demon possessed, the Roman centurion, the ritually unclean, the poor, the list goes on. And in the passage we're studying today, we see Jesus' missional heart on display once again. Because here, the worship of despised Gentiles was being disturbed, and this angered Jesus. And this teaches us that foreigners and outcasts and people from all nations coming to know and worship their Creator, that is something incredibly important to Jesus. And what we see in this passage is Jesus is removing the obstacles before Gentile foreigners and he's clearing a path for them to come and worship the Lord. And friends, that is describing Jesus' heart for us as well. That he welcomes us no matter who we are. That the Bible teaches and, and I want you to know this morning that Jesus is zealous for you to know him. He wants you to know him and he wants you to worship and be close to God. That's a wonderful truth to know. But friends, we also need to understand that removing obstacles and clearing a way for the nations to come to God, that is an ongoing work. We see that very clearly in church history. 
the beginning, oh, sorry, at a, at a meeting of, a, of some Baptist leaders in the late 1700s, there was a young William Carey, and he stood up in that meeting to argue for the value of overseas missions. And an older minister also stood up and abruptly interrupted him and said, young man, sit down. You don't know what you're talking about. But praise God that William Carey did not sit down, but instead he kept on pleading for the spiritual needs of the nations. And he went to India himself as a missionary. He inspired many others to go to the nations. And so William Carey was an obstacle remover and a path builder for the nations to come and worship. The founder of the organization I work for, uh, OMF, was founded by Hudson Taylor, and he was mocked as being the ponytail and chopsticks man, because unlike other British missionaries, he wanted to be like the Chinese, and he wanted to speak in their language, and so he immersed himself in their culture, learned the language, in order to remove barriers and build a path for the Chinese to know God. When other missionaries only wanted to work in the coastal cities where they could be closer to British culture and British Navy, uh, Hudson Taylor said, no, we are taking the gospel to those who need it most. We're going deep into inland China where so many have not heard the good news. And so we see barrier removal. We see path building in the ministry of Jesus. We see it in church history. And I believe this ministry continues to this day because there are still outcasts. There are still foreigners to grace. There are still billions of unreached people without access to the gospel that we are so blessed with. And so friends, as God's mini temples built up together in the church, we ought to be a house of prayer for the nations. And so I want us to think very deeply this morning. What are the obstacles that we need to remove? What tables does Jesus need to come and flip over so that the nations can have a greater view of his grace? Perhaps for some it's the love of comfort, or the love of entertainment, or the love of security, the love of money, the love of being right, the love of being looked up to that hinders the gospel spread. If we bring it closer to home, the way you treat your employees, the way you treat your children could potentially be a hindrance to them, having a positive experience of the Christian faith. The way you treat your domestic worker, the the way you treat your gardener, The way you treat the man who fills your petrol tank at the station, can they see the Lord reigning in our lives? Or are there obstacles that we put in their way? Then finally, this also ought to influence the way we do church. Are we inviting and are we welcoming to those who are not like us? Or are we being a hindrance to them? If I can share a very, very personal story, um, I think one of my biggest, biggest regrets as a Christian was when I treated someone who struggled with a particular sin very poorly. Um, I was still in high school. I was a young Christian. And uh, this guy came to our youth group, 
And um, because of the way he behaved and because of his personality, but how he dressed, but mainly because of his struggle with one particular sin, I gave him the cold shoulder. And when he invited me to his house, I said, no, I don't want to go. And I remember that some guys in the youth group, we used to make jokes about him. And no surprise, he eventually left the church. And after many years, I got a Facebook message from him out of the blue. This is like many, many years later. And he said that he repented of that sinful lifestyle and that he is studying theology. And uh, he saw that I'm a pastor. And uh, he just wanted to say hi and say that he's praying for me. And I remember reading that message with tears of shame rolling down my face. And I praise God, and in the end, this young guy, he, he turned completely to the Lord, but it wasn't because of me. It was in spite of me. And I realized what a complete fool I was, and, and absolutely no different from these sheep peddlers and pigeon sellers disturbing Gentile seekers and worshipers in the temple. I was a hindrance to him. And so I'm grateful for Jesus stepping into my heart and throwing some tables over to teach me that that's wrong. And I pray that he will keep doing it again and again as long as the need is there. And I pray that you would seek the same for yourselves because he is zealous for our authentic worship. And not just ours, but he is zealous for the worship of those who are not yet in this fold. And he will not give up. He will not give up. He will continue to work until his work is complete. And so let's surrender to his authority. Let's pray for the same missional heart as Jesus to be his people in the midst of others who don't know him. Let's not be a hindrance to others. Let us Clear the path for them. This way. This is where we can find grace and life. Let me show you. Let me take you by the hand. Let me lead you there where you can find life as I have found life. Let's be a house of prayer for the nations. Let's pray. Jesus, we've learned so much about you today that you are zealous for the fame and glory of your Father's name being spread amongst the people in the world. You are zealous for true worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. Not just the self-serving religious shell, but earnest worship that comes from the heart. And Lord, I know that in my life I have failed to worship you the way you have instructed many times. I've been an obstacle to others who do not know you. But thank you for what we have learned about you today. That you do not let evil and error continue unchallenged. So I pray and ask for your forgiveness and I ask for your correction and to help me, to help us to be true worshippers. Help us to be better guides and better help to others. 
Help your church, Lord, to be free from self-serving actions, free from discrimination. We should not live like the world. We should live more like you. So help us to do that. May we be a church that displays your glory in truth and in sincerity. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.